I thought I was going to have to preach another sermon without amplification. <laughs> well, before, before there was John Wick, there was Neo. And some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you, this morning? I'm talking about Keanu Reeves and the characters he has played and if you know who Neo is, Neo is the main character of that famous movie, The Matrix. And if you're familiar with The Matrix, there's a, a very critical, crucial point of the movie. It's a hinge in the movie. And that critical point was when Neo, the main character, Keanu Reeves, he gets to meet Morpheus. And that meeting is all about this question, what is the matrix. What is the matrix? And Morpheus offers Neo two choices. One of two choices. He holds out his hands, and this is kind of famous, he offers the blue pill or the red pill. The blue pill, take the blue pill, Neo, and you get to go back to living life just as you have been living it. Live in the reality that you have created. Or if you take the red pill, this is what he says. You stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember that? Morpheus is giving Neo two choices, a choice between staying where he's at, living in his current situation, or seeing reality for what it really is, seeing what the matrix really is about. In our passage this morning, God's word, his infallible word, is going to confront us with reality. It's going to confront us with hard reality. And we have the choice this morning to stare deeply, to face reality, or we can take the blue pill and live in denial. And so this morning... We're going to look at our passage, and our passage is going to uncover for us reality, but thankfully it doesn't just leave us there. It's going to provide the remedy to our reality, and even more that, the reward. That's what we're going to look at this morning, the, re the reality, the remedy, and the reward. And like Neo, we're going to be faced with a choice, one of two choices, Scripture is going to present to us two people, two humanities, one in Adam and one in Christ. I hope by the end of the sermon, as we look at the Scripture, because Scripture is pleading with us this morning to see that Jesus, Jesus is far better. Let's look at that reality. First, I want to look at verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. The Bible is God's word. And because it is God's word, it is infallible. It is inerrant. It, it cannot err. And it's telling us the truth this morning that without fail, every single one of us in here this morning is going to die. I just realized how much of a bummer that is on a, on a holiday weekend to say that to you guys. 
But without fail, 100%, batting 1,000, every one of us is going to pass away. You know, humanity has wrestled forever, has struggled to understand and come to terms with this idea of death. Andrew Copson, he's the CEO of Humanists in the UK. This is what he would say about it. Today we know from the application of physics and chemistry to our own biology that death is the end of our personal existence. Death is our annihilation. You hear what he's saying? He's making the conclusion that science is telling us that death is a physical process. We will cease to exist. He would go on and say, dying is just the natural consequence of living. But is that really the reality? Is the physical world all that there is, or is there something more? And again, I, I, I turn to Scripture and see in Ecclesiastes 3.11 that he has put eternity into our hearts. And so whether we want to realize it or not, whether we want to deny it or not, we know deep down that there's more to this world than what we can see. There's more to this world. There's more explanation than us just being a lone planet in space. There's more to this world. When we look at beauty, when we look at love, there is an explanation to these things. Morpheus says this to Neo in the movie. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. That there is something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it is there, like a splinter in your mind. Ecclesiastes tells us that there is something more, that there is an explanation. Death, the humanist says, is natural. We know that death is the most unnatural thing in all of creation. Death is not natural. It's the most unnatural thing in all of creation. We can sense it. We know that this brokenness, it is not the way things were meant to be. And God's word is telling us the real reason, the reality for death is sin. Sin, rebellion against God, the one who made us, the one who made everything that exists out of nothing. Our breaking of his laws, our violation of his character. Scripture this morning is gonna go even further and it's gonna give us more insight into our sin problem and tell us that sin, that death, it originated with one person, Adam. One true, factual, historical person. Because if you don't believe that Adam is real, realize in Scripture this morning that, 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 that God is showing us the contrast between Jesus and Adam. If you don't believe that Adam is real, then maybe Jesus is not real. But Scripture does not treat it that way. 
Our sin problem, death spreading to all men, originates with Adam. When he sinned, he represented the whole human race. Somehow we were in solidarity with him, you and me. When he sinned, we all sinned. And, and it goes even further in verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So not only is Scripture telling us that when Adam sinned, we sinned, but that we are all condemned in him. Hard concepts for us to understand this morning, and I'm sure hard concepts for us to want to embrace this morning. But stay with me. Stay with me. The bottom line is this. The reason there is death in the world is because of sin. This is our hard reality. And death is not a natural process. Death is our enemy. Let's look now at verses 13 and 14. For, since, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who was a type of the one who was to come. And then in verse 20, now the law came in to increase the trespass. What's going on here? It's really interesting as you study this passage and you look, Paul started an idea and somehow he interrupts himself with yet another idea. It's as if he is anticipating the question, what about the law? What role does the law play? Why Moses? And what he's telling us here is that the law itself, it came in and it intensifies the seriousness of sin. It changes simple wrongdoing into willful trespass, willful rebellion. You know, in our society, there are so many things that are, that are not laws, that are not written down as laws. You and I could pull up to our local Chick-fil-A, open up our backpack, and start filling it with napkins and all the wonderful condiments that they provide and leave. But we know that it's wrong. We know it's wrong, even though it's not written down. But if Chick-fil-A was to put up a sign and says, do not take more than you need for your meal, then we would be in violation was it wrong before? Yes, it was wrong before, but now it is something even more serious. We have willfully disobeyed. The law came in to make sin even more sinful. But the fact remains, sin was still sin even before the law of Moses came. Why? The scripture is telling us. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. That time of period before the law, people still died. Why? Because sin was still sin. And the wages of sin is death. This is our reality. And it seems to me as I think about my life that I don't always live in this reality. Sometimes I'm content with the blue pill and living in denial about the serious nature of sin. All we have to do is look at the, the consequences of sin, that it's death for all humanity, to have it tell us how serious is sin. 
maybe we've grown comfortable with the idea that, that my little offenses, they're, they're not such a big thing in God's eyes. Maybe if I just stay away from those big things like murder, like robbing a bank, then I'm okay. Our culture, when we look outside the walls of the church, our culture has normalized sin. We have made it acceptable. We can't stop there, can we? When we look at the inside of the church, inside the walls of the church, we have normalized sin. We have made sin acceptable. And it doesn't stop there. I have to look at myself and say, I, I have normalized sin. I have made it acceptable. I have not stared into the reality of sin and see that it, it, it means death. I don't see the serious nature of sin, the reality that sin means death, that it destroys me, it destroys the people around me, that sin is not a private affair. John Owen would say this, you're either killing sin or it is killing you. Which is it for you this morning? Are you killing sin or is it killing you? Are you killing sin or are you coddling sin? Somehow when we think about sin, think about it this way. Is it manifesting to you that you question the goodness and the grace of God? That somehow God is up there and he's holding back on his very, very best for you. That's what's happening when we sin often. That's probably what happened with Adam. God is restricting something from me. He's not giving me his very best. And when we go after other things, we're saying in our heart that something is better. And I know of no better way to kill sin than to be enamored and astonished and amazed by Jesus. I know of no better way to display sin in my heart than to fill my heart with the beauty of Jesus to this morning, to see that Jesus, he is far better. When we sin, what we're saying is there's something better than Jesus. That's the hard reality that we face this morning. Thankfully, we have the remedy Let's look first at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. The remedy for our sin reality is the free gift of God in Jesus. Because in Jesus we have everything. The remedy for our sin situation is Jesus. Our passage is contrasting Adam with Jesus. In Adam there is sin. In Jesus there is righteousness. In Adam there is disobedience. In Jesus there is obedience. In Adam there's condemnation. In Jesus there is justification. In Adam there is death. In Jesus there is Life. 
You might have caught it in verse 14. Adam was a type of the one who was to come. Who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. How is Jesus like Adam? I just went through a whole string of ways that they are not alike. Jesus is like Adam in this, that he is our representative. He stands for us. If you had a hard time with that idea that Adam was standing for you, representing for you, imputing his sin to you, condemnation, you're going to have a difficult time accepting God's remedy because it operates exactly the same way. God's remedy is Jesus standing in our place, being our representative, imputing his righteousness to us. I owned apartments years ago. I owned and operated apartments, and to make my life easier, one of the things I did was I I, I, I did a limited power of eternity, attorney for my maintenance person. Why did I do this? To make my life easier. I could not be there all of the time. And what it did was when he acted and did something at the apartments, he was doing it as if I was doing it myself. We have the very same thing in Jesus. He is our representative. When he acts, it's as if we have done it ourselves. When he died, we died. He paid the penalty for our sin. When he suffered the wrath of God, it's as if we suffered. When he lived the perfect life, it's as if we have lived the perfect life. God reckons us righteous in Jesus. And this remedy is far greater than the reality. Why is that? Well, in Jesus, we get what we don't deserve. In Jesus, we actually get vastly, vastly more than we deserve. It says the great hymn writer proclaims, God's grace is greater than all our sin. It's what Tim Keller says, that you are more sinful and more flawed than you dare believe, but you are more loved and accepted in Jesus than you dared hope for. Keller says this, that if you were a hundred times worse than you are, it's no match for the mercy of God. Can you believe that? Richard Sibbs would say this, that there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in you. If your sin were a river, God's grace is the ocean. If your sin was a hill, God's grace is a towering mountain. If your sin is all of planet Earth, God's grace is the Milky Way galaxy. In Jesus, God's grace is greater than your sin, it is more. It is more. More than your past problems, more than your present failures or your future anxieties, God's grace, it's far, far more. We often think of this idea when we think of God that he is somehow up there holding back on us, that he is stingy. And God's infallible word is telling us this morning in verse 17, his grace is abundant. 
In verse 20, his grace abounds all the more. God's grace that he shows us in Jesus, it's overflowing to us. It's as if you're to stand under Niagara Falls and God's grace is the water crashing over the falls. You could not contain, you could not hold back his grace pouring out, flowing over you. When we look at the words in this passage, I want you to see God the Holy Spirit straining to speak to you that God's grace is more. He uses the free gift five times in the passage. He uses grace five times in the passage. He says, more than, more than, all the more, abounding. The Holy Spirit wants you to get the message. His grace is greater. Jesus is far better. And let's look to the reward. In verse 17, it says, for if... Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus. And then in 21, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The reward this morning is grace reigning in your lives. Grace reigning in your lives today, tomorrow, and even throughout eternity. You know, this past week we got to, to meet with uh, Munice family, and uh, we were supposed to have a baptism this morning, but, but, but Sam got sick. Uh, we got on the topic of pets, and we were talking about fish, because they have fish, and we've had fish. And um, we came to this idea of siphoning out the water to clean the tank. You know, siphons are kind of interesting uh, tools. And one of the ways they operate, as some of you know, to get it started, if you don't have a pump and you haven't spent the money on a pump, is you put your mouth to the hose and you... What are you doing? You're creating a vacuum. Siphons get started. They operate on this principle that the air pressure on the water in the tank is greater than the air pressure on the other side of that hose. What is the operating principle in your life? Is God's grace greater than your sin? When we talk about grace reigning in your life, we're saying what is ruling your life? What is the operating principle by which you live your life? What influences you? What motivates you at the deepest level? And I know for a lot of us, and I know this is certainly true for me this morning, that it is performance in all of its various manifestations. It was performance in school, it's performance at work, it's performance in relationships, perception, reputation, it's, it's how you look, performing, even performing for God, what you can do for God, what I can do for God. And often, Performance is rooted in wrong motives. The operating principle behind that performance is not something good. Perhaps it can be trying to gain approval because that is more lovely than Jesus or control. 
or power or comfort or security or identity, all of these things. And you know what's sad about a life that's ruled by performance, where the operating principle of your life is performance, when you don't perform, when you fail to meet up, you despair, you get stressed, you get anxious, you get depressed. But on the other end of the extreme, those, those few occasions when we actually achieve what we want to do, we become boastful. We become judgmental. But the reward here this morning, Scripture is telling us, is that through Jesus, the free gift of God's grace, his grace can rule in our life. The operating principle, the thing that influences us most is the grace of God in Jesus. How does this look in our lives? What does it look like? It looks like receiving. It's a free gift. Opening up your arms to the flood of God's grace. Receiving and resting. But I know at a practical level for me, I, I need this not once, I need this all of the time. I need this day by day by day. If you're here this morning, I'm betting, and I think I can bat a thousand on this one, that every one of you does something that's the same as what I do every morning. We all do something the same every day. There's probably a lot of things that fall in this category if you think about it. I'm thinking about looking in the mirror I'm thinking that every single one of us has looked in the mirror this morning and every single morning, every day of your life, maybe when you weren't a baby, maybe not, but you look in the mirror. You're looking in the mirror because you want to fix yourself, improve yourself, brush your teeth, comb your hair, wash your face. And I want you to use this as a cue for yourself. When you look in the mirror and you're fixing, let it remind you of the reality. You are a broken image of your perfect creator. But don't remain there in your despair. Let it also lead you to God's remedy. That there's grace in Jesus. That there's freedom in Jesus. And you can let your shoulders relax. Because today, you don't have to perform for others, you don't have to perform for yourself. You don't have to perform for God because Jesus has done it all for you. And you can receive and rest in God's grace. Here's the point. Every day, every moment, you need the grace of God. You need to be reminded of the remedy in Jesus. So however you do it, however you do it, find ways to remind yourself that Jesus is far better. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we cannot believe the reality of sin, nor at times we just cannot believe that your grace is more. Your grace is an ocean and we somehow think that it is limited. Somehow we think that it's based on the things that we do for you or how we can get our act together 
but your word tells us no. Where sin abounds, your grace abounds even more. Lord, we praise you. For this we give thanks this morning that in Jesus we are free. We are loved by you. We pray this in his name. Amen.